0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Chapter 2. I'm starting in verse 10. 11? Oh, okay. Never mind. Just go start. Don't look at verse 10. <laughs> Whatever you do, please start in verse 11. even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord.
1: So... I'm gonna start out this morning by kind of admitting something to you. Is this a safe place for me to be honest and open? The, I hope so, because here we go. Um, I have to admit that in our home, um, how do you word this right? Certain kids have a particular sway over certain parents. Uh, I have to admit that uh, for me, it's for sure Maddie Grace. Uh, here's my family, by the way, beautiful redheads, all of them. Um, but, you know, Maddie has a way, always has, of looking at me with her big eyes and pouting a little bit, and, Daddy, please, and then I'll be like, sure, go ahead, whatever you want. Uh, So that's me for sure, but, you know, it's true for Courtney, too, because Landon has a special little charm with Courtney, and he's a lot like me, and the charm that I use to win Courtney's heart is a charm that he has, and he'll often use that to win Courtney's heart as well, and there are times where she will, Kind of be partial to land in. So here's what I'm admitting to this morning. In our home, there's a little bit of partiality, <laughs> but that's not true with God. Take a look at your text again and land firmly in verse number 11. This, I believe, is the kind of title verse for these next several chapters of what Paul is trying to communicate very clearly. Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and apparently in the church in Rome, there were a great many Jewish converts, because in this section, really throughout the whole book, he's uh, focusing on and talking to a Jewish audience, and here he's reminding them of something, and that's this in verse number 11, God shows no partiality. In the original language, that word is extremely interesting because it is found nowhere else other than in the New Testament writers. In other words, you can't go to any other Greek text written by other people outside of the New Testament and find this particular word. But this word is used by Paul. It is used by uh, James a little bit later on. So this is a word probably Somewhat invented by the New Testament writers to communicate a lesson. And I don't know, I, I see this is true in, in our, our uh, family. Uh, Courtney has this habit of uh, inventing words to uh, help me understand some things. Like she said the other day, boy, those woods over there, they're very tree esque. <laughs> And just last night, I told her I was going to use this. Just last night, we got our home decorated for uh, Christmas. She said, I think last year, our house was more festiver. Festiver? <laughs> but she's trying to communicate something like God what she was just trying to communicate. And this is what, what Paul in the New Testament writers are trying to communicate something. In that. And the word is really based on two words. And it means that this, God does not receive face. That's what the word means, partiality. God does not receive face. And what that means is that he is not swayed by someone putting on a face and trying to win him. If you can imagine the young pretty girl pulled over by the police officer who's like, oh, officer, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. And he lets her off scot-free. Or Madeline coming to me and saying, daddy, please. God does not receive face. Each person has to stand before God on their own. Have you ever had to stand and stand on your own? My mind went to uh, when I swore into the army. And uh, I was young. I was 18. This is probably the first time that I made a major life decision. But I made it on my own. It was my decision to make. And I stood before the swearing-in officer and I... Pledge to give my life if necessary to fight for the freedoms of this country and to uphold the constitution. And those are the things that we, we swore to, but I was on my own. And I want to say to you this morning that everybody, everyone will stand before God, but they will stand church on their own. And what Paul is saying here is that, listen, you can't bring anything to the judgment seat with God. It's going to be you and you alone. And what are you going to stand on? Because there's coming a day. Let me remind you that we were told in uh, verse number five that the day of wrath is going to come. And then take a look at verse number 16 when it says, On that day, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So really important that you're going to stand before God on a given day. And what you need to know is what saves me and what does not. Not save me. Am I ready for that day? And as your pastor this morning, I really want to help you be prepared, be ready for that day. That day is coming. Are you ready for it? So as I try to help you further to get ready for that day, let me point out, first of all, some things that do not save. What does not save me? And I want to look again at the text, and let's start in verse number 11 again as we see this. Uh, For God shows no partiality. Remember, he's writing to people who are Jewish people that were in the church in Rome. Now, what he doesn't know is, are they Uh, believing Jews that have really accepted Christ or are they just professing believers they just say they believe but they haven't really believed this morning I'm standing in front of a group of people and many of us would probably say we've accepted Christ professing believers but is it real what are you really relying on when it comes to that day So Paul says this, and first of all, he says um, for uh, verse number 11, for all who, uh, verse number 12, now for all who have sinned without the law, also perish without the law, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. He's talking to Jewish people. So let me just say this, uh, first of all, uh, write this down, my heritage won't save me. My heritage won't save me. These were Jews, and wouldn't they be able to say, God, you talk about salvation, well, how about God's chosen people? That's who we are. No one else got what we got. No other nation got your favor like we did. So don't we, as Jewish people, have a leg up on this salvation thing? Aren't we more prepared for the day of wrath because, well, we're Jews and we're God's chosen people. And God says very clearly, verse number 11, God shows no partiality. God does not say, a receive face. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you have any advantage. He doesn't, listen now, he doesn't give special favor because of your family background. He doesn't give special favor because of your national background. So can I um, bring this down to Fort Wayne, Indiana, 2023? Um, here's something that I've found here in Fort Wayne since I've been here for now 11 years that's been a, you know, every kind of culture, every community is a little bit different. And I have found, I used to be able to ask this question and get a good, clear line to the gospel, but here in Fort Wayne it's a little more challenging because this is the city of... And if you grew up in the church, raise your hand. some way, shape, or okay, vast majority of us. So when I've asked people this question, when did you come to know Jesus. That's been really confusing for people. Because if I said to you this morning, just because you grew up in a Christian home doesn't mean you have a leg up with God when it comes to your salvation. Just because you grew up in a Christian home doesn't mean that God has more favor for you than he does with others. And you would say, well, of course I believe that. But then how would you answer that question? When did you come to know Jesus? Because what I have heard over and over again is, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I've Always known Jesus. By the way, is that how you would answer that question? When did you come to know Jesus? Well, I've always known Jesus. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that you were born a saint. It says you were born a sinner. You weren't born a child of God. You were born a child of the enemy, a child of the devil. And there has to come a time When you personally come to know Jesus. Listen, being familiar with Jesus is not what saves you. Knowing about Jesus is not what saves you. Can I go even further than that? Having affection toward Jesus, even? Like, I'm really fond of Jesus. I really love Jesus. That is not enough to save you. You have to believe. In the gospel. And listen now, it has to be a personal decision that you've come to personally. When did you come to know that Jesus died for your sin and rose again? When did you come to know that you were a sinner who could not save yourself when you came face to face with your lostness to the degree that you had to reach for help someplace? And so you reached to Jesus to save you. When did that happen? Your heritage does not save you. Here's something else that I feel like would be helpful to hear today. Uh, your nationality does not save you. This is going to shock some of you, so just just buckle in here for a second. Being an American does not give you a leg up on Christianity. Can I go even further? Being a conservative American does not give you a leg up on Christianity. Now, I believe, like so many of you, that a lot of the conservative values are based on biblical values. I am pro-life because God is pro-life. I am anti-abortion, and I call it murder because God does. And so I'll take that stand biblically, but even taking that stand gains me no favor with God. And just because we are conservative Americans certainly does not mean that we have any kind of partiality with God. My heritage won't save me. Now, let's see where the text goes next to kind of really lean in on this because there's the Jewishness that he was attacking here. But there's also, this is really interesting. Take a look at verse number 12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, but all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And we'll pause there for a second uh, to say this. uh, there was an argument that they could have said. So last week we talked about how important it is that your good works reveal your salvation. And I challenge you one day your works are going to be put to the test. Your works don't save you. Was that clear last week? In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, say it really, really clearly, for by grace you've saved through faith and that none of yourselves is a gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But verse 10 goes on to say, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so if you're really saved, your life is gonna show it. That was the point. And the Jews could say, hey, listen, they don't have the law, but we have the law. They don't even know what good works are. They don't know what it takes to please God, but we have the law. We know what it takes to please God. You've given the Jewish people this very special thing. Hey, God didn't give it to the, uh, any other nation, didn't give it to the Babylonians, didn't give it to the Assyrians. He gave the law to Israel. Israel knew what good works were. So couldn't they say, well, hey, we got the good works. We know what they are. Don't we have a leg up? And God says, no, he doesn't receive face. shows no partiality because it's not the hearers of the law, but the church doers of the law that are justified. So let me help you understand this argument uh, a little bit more because the text reveals something extremely interesting going forward. Um, so um, I want you to uh, take a look at this. Write down, if you would, this little phrase. Write down, everyone has some amount of the law. Write that down. Everyone has some amount of the law. Everyone has some amount of the law. Now, is that, is that really true? everybody has some amount of the law? Really? Because I got some people in my life who seem really, really ignorant about what God has said. I got some people in my life who claim that they have no idea, and you will look at their life and say they have no idea between right and wrong. But let's follow the text. Take a look at verse number 14 now. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, look at this next phrase, by nature, by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. For they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. That means... That even unbelievers have some amount of right and wrong written on their hearts. Listen, this makes the defiance of unbelievers even more dramatic because they know. And this is supported. This helps us really understand what he was saying back in Romans 1. In fact, take a look at this. Go to Romans 1.18 uh, to see this again. Because remember what, what this says? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, what's the next three words, church? Suppress the truth. They have this idea, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. This is evil. But they push that truth down. They shove it down. Which, by the way, if you look back in chapter 2, verse number 8, this is what he's talking about in 2.8. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. What truth? The truth they have revealed in their hearts but obey unrighteousness. They would rather do what they want to do, man. So am I going to obey this part of my conscience that's telling me this is right, or am I going to push that down and just do what I want to do? And many of the Gentiles, many of the unbelievers, they just fall into that, I just do what I want to do. But it really shows something important. It shows that by nature, by nature, God has given them the law, which, by the way, makes 126 really interesting. Take a look at 126. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, natural in terms of, you know, physical element of that, but also there is a natural law to say, this is wicked this is evil, and they suppress it, and they just wanna do what they wanna do, so they run after that. So I hope this sheds some light on your evangelism. No one can claim innocence or ignorance. There is a right and a wrong that God has placed on every heart, to the degree that everyone is, as the Bible said, without excuse. But now here's Paul's point. Everyone has some amount of the law, and here's another important phrase. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. Or to say it another way, it's not about the amount of truth you have, but what you do with the truth that you do have. Verse number 13 makes a little more sense then. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, I know that last phrase is a little confusing. I'm going to spend a lot of time at the end unpacking that. But let's just land here. It's not about knowing the Bible. It's about doing the Bible. And the reality is everybody has failed. Everyone say that with me. Everybody has failed. Did the Jews keep the law? Your Bible knowledge, write this down. My Bible knowledge won't save me. My Bible knowledge alone will not save me. What does not save? My heritage doesn't save. My Bible knowledge doesn't save. Now once again, let me bring it down to us because we are in redemption Bible church. I grew up in churches that had a passionate love for learning the Bible. I grew up under the exegetical verse-by-verse preaching of the Word of God. I'm so thankful that I did. It has put within me a passion for the importance of a verse-by-verse exegetical approach to preaching the Word of God. And we grew up knowing the Bible. Man, we had Sunday school. We had Sunday morning church. We had Sunday night church. We came back on Wednesday. So we had one, two, three, four Bible lessons a week, baby, and we knew the word of God, man, as a teenager, I could argue my position on a lot of things because I had all the knowledge. And we were convinced, man, Bible knowledge was the win. The more you knew, the more righteous you were. But is that the win? Because I want you to know this principle carries over to us today. James 1, 22 through 25. But be, come on church, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, Freedom, by the way, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. All right, little quiz time. Ephesians five twenty five. Who knows it? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives. So what we're gonna do now is uh, gather all the wives together and ask each one individually, do you feel loved? Do you feel loved? Do you feel loved? It's one thing to know it. But brother, listen to me. I've gotta live that. And I hate to say I was a preacher in a church who was not living that principle very well. It took God just awakening my heart to say, I need to love Courtney more than I love the ministry. I need to love Courtney more than I love the church. And he had to break me down to help me actually live what I'm preaching. Let's do another one. This is fun. Uh, (laughs) 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We're to be students of the word of God, right? Bible says that, hear this, hear me say it. We're to be diligent students of the word of God. How'd you do yesterday and the day before? Go back to the past week. How much of diligent study did God's word actually get into your life? The vast majority of people I talk to, I'll say, hey, what's one area you can improve? Man, I need to get into my Bible more. Okay, it's not the hearing, it's the doing. And it's one thing to know, it's something else entirely to do. Now, I gotta say this. I'm gonna come to it, but I feel like I need to relieve you a little bit. What saves us is by grace through faith, okay? But because I am saved... Man, I want to know God's word. Because God loved me and gave himself for me to show me his love. Man, I want to love Courtney. On and on and on. This is grace that drives obedience. I could go on and talk about several other things, but let's just say that's enough. What does not save me? My heritage doesn't save me. My Bible knowledge doesn't save me. It's not Bible knowledge. It's not my heritage. So then it begs the question, church, what then actually does save me? How do we know for sure that we are saved? What does this text reveal that actually does save me? What does save me? And here's where I want your eyes to fall on verse number 16, because this makes it really, really clear. Take a look at verse number 16. On that day, so again, the day of judgment, when you're gonna get to heaven, and remember this from last week, your works are gonna be put to the fire, and so what is going to be the thing that saves? Let's look at verse 16 now. On that day when, here it is, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men, here it is again, by Christ Jesus, according to the gospel and by Christ Jesus. So my heritage doesn't save me, the gospel saves me. My Bible knowledge doesn't save me. The gospel saves me. So write this down. A grace-based gospel. We're gonna build a little sentence here to help you understand What this is, is, and and really hopefully to clear up some of the mist from last week to really help you get it. Here's Here's the hard thing about preaching Romans. I'll tell you straight up. The hard thing about preaching Romans is to do it justice. We have to take it kind of slowly. We can't burn through a chapter at a time. We have to take it in chunks. The challenge of that is Paul is making a very linear argument and he makes it for a long time. And so as I'm laying down and being faithful, I gotta be faithful to the text in front of me, church, right? I gotta be faithful to what's there. And so I'll make the argument from the text. I'll try to alleviate it some, but the greatest alleviation is coming later when we get there. But for now, let's focus on this because we have this verse on that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge us. God judges the secrets of men. So uh, write this down, a grace based gospel, the gospel is grace, God is a God of grace. In fact, to share a little bit of the thunder coming, look at Romans chapter 3 for a minute and verse 19, because you really have to correlate now. Verse 13 of this text, look at verse 13, first of all, in Romans 2, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Amen? Not about knowing, but about doing. But then now take a look at 319, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who Believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of, of, the glory of God. And you are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Without question, salvation is. Jesus has paid it all, He has given us incredible grace. It's grace. Church, everyone say, it's grace. And we access that not by works, but through faith. We get it by faith. It's a grace-based gospel. So what is the gospel that Paul is preaching? Let me give it to you again in four fingers. God is holy. Everyone do it with me. God is holy. I am not. Come on, do it with me. I am not. Jesus died for my sin and rose again, I will believe. Come on, let's do it together. God is holy, I am not. Jesus died for my sin and rose again, I will believe. One more time to lock it down. God is holy, I am not. Jesus died for my sin and rose again, I will believe. That's the gospel that saves But Paul is preaching to an audience where he is not positive who gets it and who doesn't. You were Jews, and now you're in this church in Rome. And, and you say you believe, man, you're a part of the church there, but do you really believe? And I'm standing in front of a group of people this morning and Many of you say, I believe, I believe, but I got to ask the question, do you really believe? Is this real? There's no small amount of questions coming out of last Sunday's sermon, because I know uh, typically I'm pretty heavy on grace, and last Sunday I wasn't heavy on grace, and uh, I'm totally okay with that because I, I this is a uh, you got to keep with us for the long haul man you got to keep with us for all the sermons there's a totality of preaching to pull one sermon out and judge it on its own uh, it could be dangerous because I'm preaching a text now I there was grace last week but here's here's what I want to say like why was some of this I think some of this pushback was coming because because we emphasize grace so much people could say well listen you always say it's not about my performance it's not about my good works, but now you're telling me I have to have good works. So which is it? Do I have good works or do I not have good works? And and someone in a real moment of honesty put it really clearly when they said this, I don't want to have to do good works. I just want to live by grace. And I think that's where some of the rub was coming in, if I'm going to be honest. But here is my simple answer to that. I'm going to prove this to you in the text now. Living in grace will result in good works. Man, if you get grace and you live in grace, the result of that is going to be a changed life. The result of that is going to be good works. A grace based gospel, write this down now, will lead. To a grace filled but fruitful life. A grace based gospel will lead to a grace filled but fruitful life. Let's go back to verse 13 for a second, because I really want to help you understand this, because this sounds like it's the opposite of what we read in Romans, but it's really not. Well, later in Romans, Romans chapter three, of course it's not, Paul's making the same argument. But I want you to look at verse number 13 remember his audience. He's writing to pr- uh, primarily Jewish professing believers and he's trying to help them work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And so verse number 13 says this, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. The doers of the law will be justified, really? Yes, because of this. The law revealed a need for a sacrificial grace. Church, listen to me. The law reveals a need. Part of the law was the sacrifices of the law. Because salvation has always been by grace through faith salvation has always been. Look, it's not like back in the Old Testament. Here's a a bad misconception. Let me clear it up for you. It's not that back in the Old Testament times, well, they were to live according to the law, and well, they really blew it, so God had to come up with a plan B, and Jesus was the plan B because they failed to keep the law. That's not a proper understanding of God's word. It's always been about Jesus, And what God did is give the Old Testament saints sacrifices that pointed to a coming Messiah. And Hebrews reveals those sacrifices were never meant to be enough. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 11 reveals it has been by faith, by faith, by faith, right? Look at Hebrews 11. By faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith, by faith, by faith. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. God had given them certain graces, the grace of the sacrifice. And so they would try to keep God's law, they would strive, but the law came in to show them, you're a sinner and you need grace. And so I've provided means of grace, all pointing to the ultimate means, Jesus Christ. And so in that way, Verse number 13, for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers. Now, I think John Piper does a great job of summarizing this. So let me show you this quote by John Piper. It says this, not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the ones who will be acquitted at the last judgment will be those who, number one, love God's law. Number two, Depend on his help to live according to the truth that they have. And then, three, trust God for his mercy when they stumble. This has been true all along the way. And there are some people who lived in that well, they loved the law of God, they tried to keep it because they loved God. And when they stumbled, they relied on the mercy, on the grace that God had revealed to them. In fact, take a look at this verse. This is a Luke 1.6. Look what it says about certain people. This is talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And look at this. This is from the New Testament. Look what it says. And they were both, what? Righteous before God. Walking how? Blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. does that mean they were sin- sinlessly perfect? No, they, they weren't perfect. They were sinners. But they loved God's law, they tried to live it with God's help, and when they stumbled, they relied upon His mercy and His grace to get them through. Does it all make sense? You have to understand that to really understand why he's putting such an emphasis here to, old, uh, to, to, to Jews who knew the Old Testament about the fact that, no, there is a coming, there is a salvation in Christ and that alone that you need to come to. And if your life isn't showing it, if you don't delight in God's law, if you don't strive to keep it and fall back on grace when you fail, maybe it's not real. And so what does it look like then? Let me try to put it all together. What does it look like for a church like ours who loves the grace of God? Can I get a witness? And we need the grace of God. Can I get a witness? How does that correlate with, I also need to show my good works? Well, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Number one, I want you to love God's word. Love God's law. Love it. Grace centered living pushes me to love God's law. Let me throw some verses at you. This is Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is is pure, enlightening the eyes. Uh, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now watch this. More to be desired are they than Gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings from the honeycomb. God, I love your law. I love your word. I love your word. Psalm 1 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. We are to love God's law. Why? Well, I talked about it in the worship set. Because God's law shows me God. This God who loves me and gives me the grace I need every day. Hey, do we need God's grace every day? Do you love God's grace every day? I hope you do and rely upon God's grace. And what the Bible does is the Bible shows me more about this God. Man, I love my dad. I love my dad. And uh, uh, I grew up in a home where my dad loved me. He wasn't perfect, far from it, but he loved me and I loved him. And I remember being a young boy and discovering his little, he had a little uh, um, leather satchel and that little leather satchel had all of his army stuff. And I was probably about, you know, maybe nine, 10 years old and I found this. He never talked about Vietnam, but I opened up that thing and I found pictures of him. I found medals that he won. And like, oh, dad, can you, can you tell me what this is all is about? Can, I wanna hear, and I wanted to know more about my dad because I loved him. And I want you to love God. And to be like, God, I want to know you more. I want to delight in your law because of the grace you've given me. I want to know your word. And and then this, grace-centered living pushes me to love God's law. It pushes me to lean on God to keep it. Because we can't do it on our own. Everyone say that. I can't do it on my own. Say it. I have to tell you this because you really want to. You really want to be good enough and righteous enough and nail the Christian life enough that you don't need anybody else, baby. I can do this. One day, one day, I'm going to be that godly man, that godly woman that I want to be. One day, I'm going to get it. And we want to be good enough to live in it, but the reality is you can't. And you need God. And you need him to help you. Colossians 1.27 says this, to them God chose to make a known how great among the Gentiles are his riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can't do it, but in the Christ in you, you can grow and find victory. So what does that look like? That sounds weird. What does it mean to, how do I activate? How do I kick into gear this Christ in me? And I believe a lot of it is through prayer. Maybe you're fighting right now with a life-dominating sin. Pornography is one to go to very easily. It's only getting worse and worse. The amount of people that in the last 30 days have put something pornographic in front of their eyes that it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're struggling with this and you're like, I'll never get victory. I'll never get victory. Okay? Cry out to God for victory passionately pursue him and live in his grace. He's forgiven you for it all. Live in his grace, but let that grace push you to love him, to love his law, and then to cry out, God, I need your help to live this. And then lastly, this grace-centered living pushes me to love God's law, to lean on God's law to keep it, but then to live in grace through it all. I'm gonna cast myself on his mercy when I stumble, and I will stumble. But I'm gonna go back to grace, and grace is gonna fire my heart up to love him more, which means my life is gonna look different, and my life is gonna change. Now listen, if you've been living for a long time and nothing's changing, If you've been here for a while, but you don't feel more in love with Jesus than you did before, are you ready for the day? Because you're not going to be able to get to heaven and say, hold on a second, let me get Pastor Jamie. He's going to help us make more sense. Let me get my mom. She's going to help me here a little bit. It's going to be you and God and that's it. Are you ready? And does your life show, man, I really do live by grace because my life is changing and good works are showing up. Let me pray for us. God, I, I these are complex theological concepts when we try to understand the Old Testament saints and how that works in, 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 grace in the sacrifice of Jesus and how it all fits together. It's so hard to try to get it into one sermon to make it all fit. But Lord, help us. And if we've got anything, help us to get this. We need to be people who love your law and who strive to walk in obedience. But Father, those who just fall on you when we fail. And I pray, Father, that that joy of grace, that living in grace, helps me to live better, helps our church to live better, so when the day comes, we will be ready. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Redemption, you are love. Thanks for coming today.